Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. Welcome to Marketing Today. I'm your host, Alan Hart, managing partner of Atomic, combining brand science and creative fire. Today on the show, I have Rachel Tipograph, founder of Micmac. Two years ago, Rachel saw a massive shift happening in digital marketing as Gap's global director of digital and social media. Instead of going to the websites of publishers or brands to shop for consumed content, people are increasingly getting all of their information from personal news feeds. Seeing that as an opportunity to transform shopping, quit her job at Gap and started Micmac, a mobile app that works with brands like Pepsi, L'Oreal, and General Electric to create 30-second shoppable videos dubbed mini-mercials. Today on the show, we talk about what makes advertising work for today's ad-adverse populations, including millennials. So Rachel, welcome to the show. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind giving us a little background on what is Micmac. Sure, and thanks for having me. Micmac is the first mobile video shopping platform. People like to call us QVC for the Snapchat generation. So we have modernized the infomercial for a younger customer. We call it a mini-mercial. Every video is up to 30 seconds. All of our hosts have an improv comedy background, and everything that we do is mobile first, meaning vertical video and even how we think about merchandising. Now, why did you found Micmac? Uh, the entire impetus for the company came from my last job. So I used to be the global director of digital and social media at Gap. I joined the company in the early 2011. At that point in time, their business was in a really interesting place. 
their customer continued to get older. You saw that from not only the people who were shopping there, but also the merchandise sold. And they were really looking for someone to come in, shake up how they think about digital and social media marketing, and acquire a younger customer. So by the time that I left, we knocked a decade off the customer, and we diversified the merchandise that people were buying. But there was something that really annoyed me about my job, and it had nothing to do with Gap or corporate America and everything to do with the internet. And what really annoyed me was that, unfortunately, 80% of my job became what I called the most annoying thing, promotional emails and retargeted advertising. If you look at any e-commerce business, no matter what they're selling, essentially marketers fall into those same traps to make a sale because the web was built for direct response marketing, which has huge implications on commerce. So essentially every day I walked into my boss's office and my boss was the CMO of Gap. And I said the same thing to him. How do we drive sales on the web, not annoy people and even make Gap cool again at the same time? And he always had the same answer to me. Typograph, if you figure that out, that's a billion dollar idea. Well, that's Micmac. And the way that Micmac came to be is that there were two major things that happened in digital and social media marketing when I was at Gap. One was the explosion of influencer marketing, and the other was the unbundling of media. Now, looking at what was happening in the marketplace, I was watching those two things, and I essentially distilled them into three core principles that the company had to pay attention to, which is one, content is the currency of the mobile social web. Anyone who's in the content business, in my mind, is essentially the treasury printing money. The second is that video remains to be the deepest form of storytelling. It's why 51% of Americans go on Netflix every night. It's why Zuckerberg invested a billion dollars in live. The whole world is moving towards video, but not only mobile, not only video, but mobile video, and not only mobile video, but really vertical video. And then lastly, this is the e-commerce side of my brain. And I've oddly enough been doing e-commerce since I was 13 when I became an eBay power user, but shopping is an emotional experience. It literally sends dopamine to your brain. I would argue that today e-commerce is the least emotional place on the internet All you have to do is look at the two giants, Amazon and Alibaba. What have they done? They've made it about lowest price, fastest shipping. They've stripped away the romance of shopping. So instinctually, when I was at Gap, I was constantly saying Gap.com should feel more like Netflix and Snapchat than it does Amazon and Alibaba. Because if you think about the greatest emotional experience on the internet, it's usually when you lose nine hours of your life binge watching video after video. So that's where Micmac came from. It came from my experience at Gap, me seeing the future of media and commerce and realizing that there was a massive opportunity to go create this. So I decided to quit my job to do it. Well, congrats on being named a 2016 Young Influential by Adweek. What does an award like that mean to you? Thanks. Uh, you know, it's, it's always really flattering to be recognized by the industry. I think what people recognize is that what I'm doing is 100% on trend with what's happening in the marketplace. And I'm surely not the first person to be like, huh, the infomercial really needs to be modernized for this mobile first generation. But clearly, we're executing better than anyone else. And having Adweek recognize that is really powerful because the industry respects Adweek. So, you know, in return, it helps business, it helps team morale. 
and it validates the opportunity that we're going after. Now, getting back to Micmac, I've read somewhere that you can get people to watch up to 20 of these mini-mercials back-to-back, and that's in an age of ad blockers and just general sentiment against advertising. What gives? Do, do marketers just not understand how to do this? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice answer. It goes, yes. Yeah, it goes back to the point I made uh, just prior that I'm looking to emulate the emotional relationship that you have with a platform like Netflix and Snapchat and bring it to shopping. And the big thing that happens in two environments like that is just a really deep understanding about the type of content that resonates with people. So when people engage with Micmac, they literally don't feel like it's shopping and they don't feel like it's advertising. They feel like they're just watching some of their favorite content on the internet. And so what we do is just act like normal people and not act like advertisers. And we also don't hide what we're trying to do. So when someone engages with Micmac, they 100% know that they're about to see an improv comedian hawk them a product. I'm not hiding it. This isn't branded video content that secretly puts a buy button on it. This isn't a music video where you're trying to get people to shop the outfits. We are who we are, which 100% resonates with a millennial today. They want authenticity. And they also want to consume content in the ways that they're natively used to. And so that's what Micmac does from a content standpoint. And the second thing is that we've created a user experience that also encourages that binge watch. So you're swiping through video through video, just like you would do on any other platform. So break down what makes a good ad or or mini commercial or commercial. What's the ingredients, if you will? Well, I... You know, I consider myself a student of communications and media. And so like anyone, I'm going to quote Marshall McLuhan. The medium is the message. So with the mini Marshall, we design an experience that drives sales conversion. That's what it's designed to do. Advertising at large doesn't necessarily always need to result in a sale, right? There's different tactics and strategies that we use to build a brand, to gain new customers, to enter new markets. So I think first there needs to be a deep understanding of the medium that your content or your ad or your uh, store experience or whatever marketing touch point we're talking about is going to show up in. And that's where also everything always falls apart. You know, I've spent 10 years working through corporate America in different marketing capacities. And what I have found with traditional brand marketers is that they take a one size fits all approach, which 100% doesn't work. You don't take a billboard and put it on Facebook. You don't take a TV commercial and shove it into Instagram video. You need to understand what the canvas is, how people like to engage with content there, who are the best creators within those formats, and then to design a content and advertising experience that makes sense for that media. So I would say usually that's where it first falls apart. The second thing is then it comes down to data and creativity. If you have shitty creative, well, no one's going to really like look at you twice. And then if you're not leveraging data appropriately to make sure that you're serving the right advertising experience to the right person, it's also going to fall apart. So there's just some fundamental truths about advertising that remain, but I would argue that the first place that usually bad advertising begins to happen is when you're not designing for the right campus. 
I love that you just put data and creativity together. I think there's a lot of people in the world that think those are two separate things. Um, can you just expound on on your you know thoughts about that? How you put them? Yeah, together? I mean, it's how I think about everything. I think if people were to describe me as a founder and an entrepreneur, they usually put me in a creative lens first, which is fine because I probably am um, a creative first. <laughs> but I have a deep understanding that. Uh, the two have to work hand in hand. So another way to talk about it is the marriage of art and science. That's truly where creativity comes from. One of the reasons why I gravitated towards the infomercial industry is that it's actually one of the first examples to use real-time data to drive content and commerce. So if any of you have seen the movie Joy, it beautifully depicts that, right? You would have a host hawking a product, there is a producer behind the camera watching telephone calls. As calls came in, he essentially has a microphone that's in a host's ear, and he's telling the host to either repeat what they just said, go deeper, or change, because that's impacting how people are responding to the product. So when I realized that, I go, wow, I probably could create software that automates that type of experience and create video creative that's dynamic and can respond to the viewer. And that's the really powerful thing about Micmac, and it's why we get people to watch lots of videos, and it's why we can turn video views into sales conversion. Because behind every comedian that's talking a product is a layer of data that is trying to personalize the experience to get you to create a sale. Interesting. So can you give us an example of a campaign or a brand that you worked with and the type of results that they're seeing? Yeah, I mean, I can't talk about real numbers because that would be a breach of our contracts with clients. Sure. But at a high level, I could talk about one of our first brand partnerships with a, a major brand. So GE reaches out to us and they have this really big lighting vertical, their consumer lighting business. And they've actually created all these light bulbs that connect to your smartphone. So you could control you know, the brightness of a light bulb, you can set dimmers, you actually can change the color, you can manage the level of serotonin levels all from your phone. That's a pretty complicated story to just try to communicate through text and imagery. And they very much realized that the best demonstration of this product would happen through video. Secondly, they acknowledge that a younger customer that they're looking to acquire is not driving to, let's just say, Home Depot every weekend like their parents to buy light bulbs. So how do we show up differently? How do we tell this product story? And how do we acquire a younger customer? And they thought Micmac would be the perfect place to do that. So we essentially created a series of mini commercials for GE, communicating all the different types of value propositions behind these connected light bulbs. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And then we used our data to optimize the video in real time as well as use our audience data to segment which people within the Micmac network should learn specifically about lighting for sleep versus learning specifically about lighting for work. And then that allowed us to drive higher product intent with the content. Interesting. And so how are you starting to work with these companies and brands? Are, are you working through existing agency relationships, working direct? How does that come, to, come about? Yeah. You know, more often than not, we work client direct and inevitably we always kind of have to work client direct because we are connecting now to the client shopping cart. And that was really based on client needs where the client wants to use their preferred shopping cart. So usually my relationship starts with a CMO or VP of marketing or a head of media or a head of e-commerce. And then depending on that organization, I'd say 50% of the time, the relationship will remain completely Micmac and client. 50% of the time, an agency partner is brought in. And the good thing about Micmac is that I started my career agency side, then I went brand side, and now I'm like tech media vendor. So it's kind of the total trifecta of us having (laughs) a really deep understanding of how this industry works. So we're comfortable collaborating um, with multiple partners. Yeah, it sounds like you're really well positioned to know all angles and to integrate. Mm-hmm. So what tips or advice would you have for marketers looking to reach those adverse populations you serve already? Uh, hmm, let's say I would say what I always explain to people. If you give someone shit product, you will get shit results. First, making sure you have a really strong value proposition and product for your customer. Marketing is not going to be able to hide the fact that you have a shit product. Inevitably, the customer is going to figure that out. The second is to build marketing directly into your product. When I'm always advising my friends who are launching companies, let's just say that you're going to have a live event. If you're going to have a live event, you should have a media partner be a strategic partner in that relationship. Every type of product experience today has to yield content. So if you're designing a physical product, such as a Sonos speaker, how does the Sonos speaker then yield content that goes beyond the speaker, right? So how do you really leverage your relationship with uh, Spotify or Pandora and create content experiences around that for customer acquisition? Or if you're going to be a clothing company um, and you've had an article of clothing that runners are going to use, how can you make sure that cl- clothing item connects to Nike Plus as a customer acquisition tool? So really seeing marketing as a core part of the product development experience. And then lastly, like focusing on experience. If you're going to be creating advertising content, making sure you're designing for the right type of canvas and to leverage partners as much as humanly possible. Marketing today is really about collaborations. When you look at these direct-to-consumer brands that are most successful, they're launching a new collaboration with a like-minded brand partner every single month because your marketing has to have a network effect the same way that social media has a network effect today. 
you know, stepping back, I guess, from what you're doing at Micmac and thinking maybe maybe broader, if you're a brand owner today, how can a, any company really build a strong brand today with everything that seems to be against them? You know, you've got fragmentation of media, um, distrust of marketing we've been talking about, and just marketers not doing a good job. What do you think? Where, where, how, how, how do you approach that as a brand owner today? Yeah, I'm going to go back to a few things that I've already said. But first, when you're launching a business, you need to launch the business with the niche audience in mind. The reason why BuzzFeed is BuzzFeed today is that they're designing content for niche audiences. So when they're thinking about content development, they're like, okay, what are 10 things that Harry Potter fans love when it comes to kitchen? And they know that they could go and find those audiences on Facebook. So if you're launching a brand, you have to be very specific with the niche audiences that you're going after and ask yourself, how are you going to create a product that's going to resonate with those niche audiences? Let's just say you have that checked. So I'll just take a, let's just say I'm launching a luggage company and I want to reach people who are business travelers and also love to do yoga when they're traveling, right? So you're already beginning to layer on those niche audiences. Now you're going to go find them on the internet. When you go find them on the internet, you then have to identify who are the key stakeholders, or another world is saying, who are the key influencers within those communities? And how can we begin to create content and advertising experiences with those? So really basic way to think about it is who are the like-minded influencers and brands that are already reaching that audience that we can begin to do collaborations with. And collaborations could be co-packaging, it could be events, it could be co-storytelling. You then create a marketing calendar, and the way that I like to think about it is a book. You have the book cover, which is the brand identity, and then inside you have chapters, and each month should be a chapter. And what's the narrative that's going to happen over the year? And every single time, making sure that you're using partners, whether it's influencers or like-minded brands that have audiences that you want to reach, and that's a part of each chapter. And that's how you begin to build a brand. And it really depends on, like, what type of business or service offering. If it was a B2B brand, you'd start identifying audiences that exist within LinkedIn and Medium. If it's a direct-to-consumer brand, you're going to begin to look for audiences uh, first and foremost in like Instagram. And then if it was a media company, it's straight up all about Facebook and Snapchat. Love it. I love it. Let's step back even a little bit further now. And sometimes I call this section of the questions and the couch and crystal ball. But I want to talk a little bit more about you as an individual and what fuels you, what, what drives you to do what you do. Yeah, I am motivated by doing things that have never been done before. I think I'm an adrenaline junkie um, <laughs> and I love to take risks. And I think at some point in my life, I just accepted that by taking risks, you're also going to have really big failures. It goes hand in hand. But those are the moments where I learn the most. I just realized at a really young age that I learned by doing and not in a classroom. At like the earliest example, I remember I was five years old and I wanted to learn how to rollerblade. Both of my parents worked, um, so it was you know, kind of hard to be like, mom or dad, teach me how to rollerblade. And I remember I just watched my neighbor rollerblade down the street. And essentially by watching and then putting on the skates, I just did. And I fell a bunch. But after like the eighth time, I learned how to rollerblade. And that's sort of my approach to life. 
So I learn by doing. I'm addicted to being first. I'm addicted by the energy that happens when I'm operating in white space. And the moment that it becomes gray and then black, I'm like, I need to move on to the next white space. It's what keeps me competitive as well. Even with Micmac, it's been in the marketplace now for 18 months. And, you know, people are starting to enter my space, which one just validates what I'm doing and only motivates me to move faster and smarter. So that's like what motivates me from like an energy, it's passion, it's hustle, it's doing things that have never been done and learning via mistakes. And then from like building a team and and a company and what excites me is this is the hardest thing that I've ever done. I don't think I even imagined how hard it was going to be building a company. I'm also a sole founder, which I also learned is actually a really lonely experience. It is and I'm lonely. An extreme, yeah, yeah, and I'm an yeah. extreme extrovert, so it, it doesn't bode well with me sometimes. I have so much admiration for anyone who has a business today, anyone who's had a business, especially for five years, anyone who has a business and it's grown it from zero employees to 50 employees. Like operating a small business is so hard and I know it only gets infinitely harder as you grow. So I just have admiration for anyone who's doing anything like that. And what motivates me is to build a company culture that people wake up every morning and are excited to come to work. They feel fulfilled by the work that they're doing. They feel challenged and they just really enjoy the time with their coworkers. We spend the majority of our waking hours working. So if I can create a space that people want to come to, for me, that's probably going to be the greatest success. And that'll be the thing that I remember the most years to come from now. Very wise. Very wise. So as you think about brands or companies that, that you're looking to in the marketplace, could be things that you just like, could be things that you think are doing a really good job or, or an adjacency to your, your company now. Who, who are those? Who are you following? I look to a lot of different companies and I take learnings from all different stages of those companies. You know, around the time that I launched my company, uh, one of my fellow peers and friends launched a, a suitcase company called Away. It's been amazing to watch like their growth and how they approach launching a direct-to-consumer brand and essentially everything that I said in this playbook of how to launch your brand, they executed and I think they're executing really well. So just from watching like a direct-to-consumer brand and literally how you build a brand identity from Instagram and then move very quickly into physical retail space, I think that they're a company to watch. From media, I think this is the craziest time in media history. The consolidation that's about to happen of all of these digital media companies is going to happen at an insane rate over the next six months. Platforms like Facebook and Snapchat have essentially caused every media company to create the exact same type of content. The easiest way to conceptualize this is when BuzzFeed launched Tasty and everyone saw how well those overhead camera recipe videos were doing. Every media company now has their own version of Tasty and there's no way to tell who's creating what content. They're all reaching the same audiences. You know, media today is all paid to play. And advertisers are essentially buying the same audience no matter which publisher they're working with. It's, I think it's a scary time in media because of that. What's really interesting is to think about the economics of it today and how do you still make money. And it's crazy because the economics actually remain exactly the same. The dollars in media today are still in content licensing. 
And so one of the companies that I really admire, it's already been acquired, but it's a company called Storyful, and News Corp acquired it. And they essentially identified this really early on. And their company has two sides to their business primarily. It's a group of journalists and it's a group of data scientists. And they essentially scour the internet. They find like user-generated or low-budget content that via their algorithms they know is going to eventually perform well. And then they're packaging that content up and selling it to publishers and selling it to brands. So I think identifying like new models and content licensing is going to be a really lucrative area. So that excites me. And then I'm thinking a lot about self-driving connected cars. I think that's going to fundamentally alter marketing in ways that people might not even be thinking about right now. I think what the internet did to marketing, self-driving cars is also going to have the same level of impact. And that a whole new echelon of creativity and operating systems and marketing metrics are going to be born from that. Awesome. Well, I think we've got a lot to look forward to in the future. Um, For sure. I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you.